Today on the Matt Wall Show, the Washington Post has come up with a new innovation to account for all the non-white people who are Trump supporters. They're calling it multiracial whiteness. Yes, we'll have to figure out what that is today. Also, five headlines, including the media hurries to provide publicity and attention to the uh, supposed right-wing militias who are, we're told, gathering in state capitals across the country. The funny thing is that some of them don't seem to be very right-wing. Uh, so we'll talk about that. And our daily cancellation will cancel a public health expert who insists that it is healthy and wise to uh, exercise outdoors with a mask on. Is there any truth to that? We'll find out today. All that and more today on The Matt Wall Show. Before we go any further today, quick word, important word from our friends at LifeLock. You know, it's, it's never been more important to protect your online data, especially when you think about all the, the new tactics that the um, thieves are, are using to steal your data. And a new tactic for stealing your credit card and personal information has recently been discovered. This new web skimming attack or e-skimming injects malicious code into a compromised e-commerce website's checkout process that um, pulls your order information to display it on a fake checkout page that steals your information. So, you know, when you're buying stuff online, this is the, this is the kind of thing you have to worry about. And it's, uh, it's difficult on your own to detect this sort of thing, to be aware of it. Um, and that's why it's so important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. Every day we put our information at risk on the internet and you could just simply miss many of the risks to your identity if you're just monitoring your credit, looking at your bank account. I mean, the, the kind of things that are good to do, but it's not, it's not enough. And that's why you need LifeLock. LifeLock will do all the things you can't do. LifeLock is a leader in identity theft protection. LifeLock detects a wide range of, identi of identity threats like your uh, social security number being for sale on the dark web. And if they detect that your information has been compromised, they'll send you an alert. And if God forbid something does happen, then they also have identity restoration specialists who are on staff and there to help you. So you get you, know, you get help on both ends of this problem. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but LifeLock can see threats that you might miss on your own. Join now and save up to 25% off your first year at lifelock.com slash Walsh. That's lifelock.com slash Walsh for 25% off. What do you do with someone who is seemingly unreachable. I mean, the sort of person who holds a position, defends it vigorously, and remains totally impervious to counter arguments and contrary evidence. The person who couldn't possibly be more certain of the rightness of his views and also couldn't possibly have less reason to be certain. How do you engage with this, with someone who absolutely refuses to be persuaded? Someone who hangs on to their original assumptions and beliefs and simply ignores everything that contradicts it, contradicts it or, or else incorporates the contradictory information into their worldview in an entirely ad hoc and arbitrary way. It quickly feels pointless to engage with them, right? It feels like you're trying to, I don't know, explain the color green to a man who's been blind since birth. It's just, it's just not clicking with them. They can't comprehend what you're telling them. Or what makes it all the more frustrating, really, is that they refuse, in this case, to comprehend it. Now, what do you do when the whole country seems to be filled with people like this? What happens then? I suppose what happens is, well, everything we're seeing happening right now. It's why talk of unity is pointless and will go nowhere. I mean, how do you unify with people like this? People like, for example, the writer of a new op-ed in the Washington Post, Christina Beltran. Uh, the piece, which has attracted much attention in recent days, is titled, here's what it's titled, To understand Trump's support, we must think in terms of multiracial whiteness. Yes, multiracial whiteness which is, I imagine, quite similar to beautiful ugliness, hot coldness, wealthy poverty, similar in the sense that these are all non sequiturs. It makes no sense. So here's some of what Christina Beltran has to say. She says, 
The Trump administration's anti-immigration, anti-civil rights stance has made it easy to classify the president's loyalists as a, hum as a homogenous mob of white nationalists. But take a look at the FBI's poster, uh, poster showing people wanted in the insurrection assault on the U.S. Capitol. Among, among the many white faces are a few that are clearly Latino or African-American. Yes, white faces that are clearly Latino or African-American. White faces that are African-American. This reminds me of when I stood in line at the Cinnabon alongside many skinny people who were clearly obese. In fact, based on my diet, you may say that I'm, I'm the reverse. I'm an obese person who is skinny. You know, um, these things can happen. Anyway, continuing, it says, such diversity highlights the fact that President Trump's share of the Latino vote in November, uh, in November actually rose over 2016, notwithstanding years of incendiary rhetoric targeting Mexicans and other Latino communities. Yes, Trump's voters and his mob are disproportionately white, but one of the most unsettling exit poll data points of the 2020 election was that a quarter of a third uh, to a third of Latino voters voted to reelect Trump. And while the vast majority of Latinos and an overwhelming majority of African-American voters supported the Biden-Harris ticket and were crucial to its success, many black and brown voters have family and friends who fervently back the MAGA policy agenda, including its delusions and conspiracy theories. One of the organizers of the Stop the Steal movement is Ali Alexander, a Trump supporter who identifies as black and Arab. The chairman of the neo-fascist Proud Boys is Enrique Torrio, a Latino raised in Miami's Little Havana who identifies as Afro-Cuban. So here's the problem all laid out, right? People like Beltran have decided that supporters of Trump and his policies are a uh, homogenous mob of white nationalists. That's the position they've staked out. It's the assumption they've made. It was never based on any evidence. It never had anything to do with the actual reality of the situation. But this is what they decided. And then comes the counter, the, the evidence to the contrary. The fact that, as is acknowledged here, there are plenty of people who support Trump and his policies and yet are not white. How do you account for that? Now, it's true that the, that, that the fact that some non-white people support Trump doesn't in and of itself prove that Trump is not racist or that most of his supporters aren't, but it is a point that must be explained. It does throw a wrench into the works, right, if you're on the left. It's, it's a piece of data that, that the original theory doesn't predict or account for. It. So what do you do about it? Do you stop and assess? Do you reevaluate your position? Do you strive to develop a more nuanced understanding? No, of course not. Instead, you do this from the piece. It says, rooted in America's ugly history of white supremacy, indigenous, uh, white supremacy, indigenous dispossession, and anti-blackness, multiracial whiteness is an ideology invested in the unequal distribution of land, wealth, power, and privilege. It continues, multiracial whiteness reflects an understanding of whiteness as a political color, a political color, and not simply a racial identity. A discriminatory worldview in which feelings of freedom and belonging are produced through the persecution and dehumanization of others. For voters who see the very act of acknowledging one's racial identity as itself racist, the politics of multiracial whiteness reinforces the desired approach to color colorblind individualism. In the politics of multiracial whiteness, anyone can join the MAGA movement and engage in the wild freedom of unbridled rage and conspiracy theories. America's racial divide is not simply between whites and non-whites. Thinking in terms of multiracial whiteness helps, helps us recognize that much of today's political rift is a division between those who are drawn to and remain invested in a politics of whiteness and those who seek something better. Okay, now, before we analyze this further, there's one other quick passage from this piece, just sort of dropped into the middle, which is true. It actually undermines the point that's being made. It says, if you want to speak Spanish and celebrate a quinceañera in your family, go ahead. If you want to be a proud boy, be a proud boy. Trump doesn't care. As long as you love him, he'll love you. Yes, 
That part right there, that part, that is a correct summation of Trump and his approach to people. That's actually true. Love him and he'll love you. Hate him and he'll hate you. In fact, well, it's more love him and he'll love you. Criticize him and he'll hate you. Doesn't even matter if you actually hate him. If you criticize him at all, he'll hate you. I'm not going to pretend that this is the best way to be or the best way to live, but it's clearly how Trump approaches things. And it means he's not racist because his decision to hate or love you has nothing to do with your race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, or anything else. Any of your identifying characteristics. That doesn't matter to him. What matters to him is how you feel about him and what you say about him. Period. That's all. Say what you want about that disposition, but you can't call it racist because race has nothing to do with it. The writer of the article notices this about Trump's and takes note of it, acknowledges it, but then proceeds right along with her original thesis. That thesis, as we recall, is that Trump and his supporters are all racist white supremacists. What does she do about the fact that many of Trump's supporters aren't even white? Well, not to worry. She can just turn them into sort of honorary white people. They're white people politically. They engage in the politics of whiteness, whatever that means. Notice, of course, the outrageous, over-the-top, in-your-face racism on display here. I mean, this is the irony that we're all accustomed by now, accustomed to by now. The people who rail against racism tend to be the greatest examples of what they're pretending to oppose. And here she is equating whiteness with evil. Really, her point is that, uh, is that a, a black person who is evil and bigoted and bad, in her view, is really white because of that. This is just about the most racist possible view a person can hold and express, and she's given a column in the Washington Post to express it. It goes without saying, though, of course, this does not go the other way. A white person who has all the correct views by the writer's standards does not get to lay claim to a multiracial blackness. You know, they don't get to be, to be considered a black face that is white. The Rachel Dolezals of the world are cast aside, despite the fact that they're simply adopting and living by the ideas and the philosophy expressed in this article. But, you know, that's the great thing about being impervious to reality and unwilling to abandon your original assumptions. You don't have to worry about being consistent. You don't even have to concern yourself with basic coherence. You can just make up your worldview as you go. And that is how the writer of this article has chosen to live. And sadly, very sadly, she is far from alone. Now let's get to our five headlines. Well, today is a day of mourning for me. This is a, it was a tough weekend. Ravens lose to the Bills. Didn't even score a touchdown. I, I think the final score, what was the final score? 21 to three or something. I blocked it out of my mind already. I just zoned out. Terrible, terrible stuff. And you know, you know what? You know what the, the thing is though? It's not fair. It's not fair. Lamar Jackson goes down with a concussion. You know, is, is, uh, T- Justin Tucker, the, the great field goal kicker of the Ravens, um, you know, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. He's the most accurate kicker of all time. He misses two, misses two kicks. It is not fair, I say. Not fair. In fact, what I, here's what I think. Mike Pence needs to decertify the results of this game. It is unconstitutional, illegitimate. I'm calling on Mike Pence to do the right thing and decertify these results. We'll see. We'll see if he has the courage, if he has the courage to act. 
in this moment of crisis for our nation. All right. Um, number one, we've been told about the right wing militias who are going to be storming the capitals across the country. Well, one such group showed up at the uh, Michigan State Capitol and they held, a, I guess, a, a press conference. OK. And the media also showed up to cover this press conference. But we're going to watch. We're going to listen and watch this because uh, there are just some odd details about this right wing militia. Maybe you can pick up on some of it. But uh, here it is. Listen. Antifa, Boogaloo, and right-wing militias, they are the antibodies, not the disease that is destroying our country. The disease is a country run by two corrupt political parties that do not care about you. So deeply, so deeply incestuous with corporations that they are indistinguishable from each other. A government that spent six months debating whether to give their own people $600, but only 24 hours to unanimously agree to give billions of dollars to foreign tyrannical governments and corporations. A government that has bombed villages overseas my entire life for my supposed safety here. This is a call for unity. For all of American people that realize the true threat against us to come together. Um, yeah, okay, so... A few things there, and he and he goes on. It goes on for like another minute, and he and he, he also mentions, you know, he's he's speaking. I don't think it was in that clip. He's he's speaking out on behalf of of the mothers who've who've lost children to police brutality. He mentions that uh, among, among other things. Now, so a, a few things. Number one, you've got a few yahoos standing in front of the Michigan State Capitol uh, with their you know with with their 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 gear on and everything. And, uh, and, and, and then you get this swarm of media people, cameras in their face. I mean, this guy, who is this guy? I don't know who this guy is, right? He's holding a press conference and the whole media shows up to cover it. Why are they covering it? How is it, whatever this guy is saying, uh, why is that news? Well, I mean, you, you can arrive at your own conclusions, but I'll just say this. The media is not giving all of this attention to these people because they want to quell unrest or because they want less of this. That's not how that works. If they really wanted less of it, then they would just starve these people of attention. I mean, that's how, if you want the people that were at the Michigan State Capitol, if you want them to go away, then what you do is just ignore them. You let them stay out, stand outside, and you just ignore them. And if they're giving a press conference, he's giving a speech that he's reading off his phone, you ignore it. And then he would, then eventually they would go home because they're there for the attention, right? Well, the media knows that, but, uh, but no, they want more of it because it's great for ratings. And also it's great ideologically for them because they could try to put all this on the right. But the other interesting thing is that, okay, you got this guy, you heard some of what he said there. Um, and he's, he's, uh, he's carrying a rainbow flag, a gay pride flag. The person right next to him is wearing a BLM hoodie. So you've got a guy with a B, with a rainbow gay pride flag, someone with with BLM gear, and he's ranting about you know corporations and police brutality. It says a few things in there that if you're on the right you might agree with, and then a few things if you're on the left you agree with, and a few things that probably everybody would agree with. And, you know the stuff about uh, you know they, they they're not doing enough to help people during the shutdown. Okay, most people agree with that, so that's a general sentiment. But how is this right wing is my question. You can make an argument for being left wing. You can make an argument for it being neither. It's not really in the binary, as we like to say these days. I don't see right wing. A guy with a rainbow flag standing next to a BLM person 
talking about police brutality. That to me is not what I imagine when I imagine right wing militia. I, you know, maybe it's just me. All right, number two. Look, I, you know, I give the media a hard time. I just did there again. But the truth is, we, we do need the media. Um, we need them to fight for truth and justice, uh, to ask the, the tough questions, uh, to get down to what really matters. I mean, th- these are the firefighters, right, in the media. These are the people who uh, f- fight the fires. And if the fire is, is falsehood, they come in with their hoses of truth and save the day. And I think that's what we see in this CBS interview with Kamala Harris. I think we see a lot of that. It's just, it's really admirable stuff. So let's, let's listen. And we had to ask about that fashion choice, surely a first for a vice president, the Converse Chuck Taylor sneakers, the Chucks. I got to tell you, when you walked in, I checked out, <laughs> is she wearing them? You're not wearing your Chucks today. No. What is the story? It became a story. I've always worn Chucks. It's, it's my casual. Story it's my casual go-to. I, you know, grew up with Chucks. I just love them. They're comfortable. I can attest. There is a several closets full of them. He's uh, exaggerating. But, uh, there, yeah, this wasn't just something that she started doing on the campaign. And when I met her, it was je- Chucks and Jeans, when she met the kids. And what it, did it say to you? She's down to earth. People ask me all the time, like, what's she really like? I said, she's shockingly normal. I think that is really an extension of who she really is. An extension of who she really is are her shoes. What did it say to you when you saw her wearing those shoes? First of all, the honest answer from any man, if you're asking a man, what, what, what is your, wife, your wife's uh, shoe choice? What does it say to you? The honest answer for any man is, it says nothing to me I've never noticed. Okay? I, I, I've never noticed the shoes that she's wearing in my life ever. For all, I know, for all I know, my wife wears Chuck Taylors every day. I have no idea. It's just, it's not the kind of thing you notice as a man or care about. We're supposed to believe when they first met, he, he saw those Chuck Taylors and he said, no, oh, she's down to earth. This is the woman of my dreams in those Chuck Taylors. Oh, it just, it just became, how did the Chuck, how did uh, Kamala Harris's shoe choice become a story? It just, it just developed organically, right? No, it became a story because the media made it into a story. Nobody else cares. The media is obsessed with this. This is, this is like the 15th uh, profile they've done of Kamala Harris's shoes. At least if they were interesting shoes. Maybe if she was wearing like, you know, disco platform shoes or something, I could see it. But not this. Um, and by the way, also today from the media, I saw this headline. The headline was, all the times Joe Biden's love for ice cream melted our hearts. Now, in fairness, this was from E! Online, you know, the E! The Entertainment Channel. So you don't ex- really expect hard-hitting journalism from them. But even that, I mean, com- compare the way the media is in love with the fact that Joe Biden eats ice cream all the time and compare that with the fact that, you know, with, with, with Donald Trump eating fast food. There's, there's, we, n- we never got any headlines about uh, all the times uh, uh, Donald Trump's love for Big Macs melted our heart. No, in that case, it was, oh, this gross, disgusting man with his unhealthy eating, making a mockery of the obesity epidemic. So I'll get ready for a lot of this kind of thing. Number three, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is putting her foot down once and for all. Uh, So you better listen up because she is serious this time. Here she is. Listen. 
what we saw last week was not just a violent coup attempt, um, but we also saw a dereliction of duty and a betrayal of our country and a betrayal of the oath that we swear. And that is why I have demanded the resignations of Senators Ted Cruz, Senators Josh Hawley, um, Majority Leader, Republican Majority, or rather Republican Minority Leader in the House, uh, McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy. Yeah. And, you know, and I will counter that by saying I demand the resignations of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Joe Biden, Kamel Harris, Mark Zuckerberg, Colonel Sanders. I just, I demand everyone's resignation. Um, yeah, this is, we can make jokes about it, of course. It's just this, this impotent, I, I demand the resignations of, I demand the resignations of, of all the Republicans in Congress. I, I demand it. I want your resignations on my desk tonight. Uh, so we can laugh at the impotence of that, but, but really this is just another example of, you, you look at how the left has reacted to uh, uh, one example of right-wingers rioting. Okay, we, we've, had, we've had precisely one example of that, period, in memory. And this is how they react to it. You know, they're, they're shutting everything down, demanding resignations of everybody. Donald Trump has kicked off Twitter. They impeached him. You know, just a, uh, wiping out millions of conservative accounts. They've, they've occupied D.C. with the military. This is how they react to one on the left. Now compare that to how the right reacted to months and months and months of left-wing rioting. Nothing. They didn't do anything. And they had the power to do things. They were in a position of power. They did absolutely nothing. So if you want to understand the difference between the left and right, between really Democrats and Republicans... That's it right there. One example of, of right-wingers rioting, um, a, a small, and by the way, a small percentage of the people that were at the rally engaging in this behavior, and uh, what do the Democrats do? They just shut everything down. Occupy the city, impeach everything, right? They go absolutely nuclear in response to it, and uh, Republicans, very, very tolerant and patient. You, you, you know, if you're on the left, you can just riot, riot all you want. We don't want to overstep bounds. We don't want to do anything. You know, Donald Trump, in fairness, he did he did tweet law and order in all caps. He, he, he tweeted that many times. And conservatives made excuses for that. They said, what else do you expect him to do? He's only the president. He can't do anything else. So he's just, you know, he's just trying to respect, be respectful. And what do you think? What do you let me ask you? What do you think Joe Biden is going to do if this becomes a semi trend of uh, of of small pockets of uh, you know, Trump supporters or people that at least could be, uh, w- at least they can claim are Trump, Trump supporters rioting or engaging in this kind of behavior. If this becomes even a, a semi-trend, we don't even have to talk about hundreds of riots like we had on the left. If there are even just a few of them through the first few months of, of Biden's tenure, how do you think Biden's going to react to that? Or at least how do you think the Biden administration is going to react to that? I mean, they will be occupying cities. They're going to move the military in. They're going to come down with an iron fist. They're already doing it. 
Because they can. And why, why would they react that way? Because they can. Because they have the power to do it. And so they will. When Republicans have the power to do it, they just don't. And they make excuses for it. And then when they no longer have the power to do anything, that's when they pretend that if they only did have the power again, this time they would do something. Okay, number four, a treasure trove of newly unsealed um, CIA records. This is from the Daily Mail. uh, Of newly unsealed CIA records has revealed chilling accounts of hundreds of UFO sightings across the globe dating back to the 1950s, along with international intelligence agencies' efforts to understand them. The XXXX dossier with uh, nearly 3,000 pages of documents about unidentified aerial phenomena uh, was published on the Black Vault website last week. That's what they call Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, phenomena UAP. They use that instead of UFO. You're not going to fool us, government. We, we know what you're doing. Um, thousands of paranormal, paranormal enthusiasts have already started pouring through the collection of more than 700 individual documents, according to Black Vault's founder, John Greenwald. The CIA purports that uh, the files account for its entire collection of declassified UAP in, intel, Uh, I'm just reading through this as you are to get to where's the good stuff. Maybe I should have read this before I went on the air. It says Russian airliner crew. um, So it's just some examples of some of the stuff. Now, this is thousands of pages and and, no one's been through all of it yet. So maybe the smoking gun, as it were, uh, is is in there somewhere. But it says Russian airliner crew describes coming within 50 kilometers of a yellow disc shooting beams of light in Belarus in 1985. So that's one. Um, bunch of stuff from Russia in the 80s of weird sightings. A Swedish pilot and flight mechanic spotted a completely unorthodox metallic object flying at the speed of sound outside Stockholm in 1953. Uh, a, a CIA report from, 19, from April 1954 includes three newspaper articles about a purported UFO sighting five months earlier in Sweden. Okay, so a lot of, this is disappointing. This is depressing. This is almost as depressing as the Ravens' loss. This is just a bunch. This is a bunch of rehashed, reheated material right now. Maybe the good stuff is in there. Like I said, it is a lot. It's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of information, and there have been a lot of sightings like this. But really, what you always have to do, right, if you want to decide if you believe something or not, um, believe a claim, such as the claim that UFOs exist. UFOs exist as an alien actual alien spacecraft exist and have visited the earth. So if you want to, if you want to judge that claim, you you have to judge the evidence, the available evidence against what you expect the evidence would be if it were true, which is a very unscientific process, but that's kind of the way you have to do it, right? Because there is, there's a lot of evidence. This does count as evidence. All these claims, these eyewitness, supposed eyewitness accounts, got thousands and thousands of them. Some of them more impressive than others. We got some video, you know, and there's no denying that that is evidence of UFOs. Now, whether it's compelling evidence to you is really going to depend on whether or not you think that if UFOs were really visiting the earth, is this the kind of evidence we would have? Or would we have something far more compelling? And um, you could make the argument that, you know, if, if UFOs, if aliens were coming to Earth and they didn't want to be detected, this is probably about what you would get. You know, yeah, if they wanted to land and make a big show of it, then we'd all know that. And that would be pretty firm evidence of that. But outside of that, if they, if they don't want to be detected, then probably what you'd end up with are a bunch of random sightings like this, a, f- a few pieces of video that are kind of compelling, but that's it. So in other words, I go back to my 
original assumption, speaking of sticking with our original assumptions, that UFOs are real. Okay. Um, five, from Politico, at least three Trump family members are either considering runs for office or being urged to do so, according to well-connected GOP operatives and Trump family allies. Uh, top party officials say that Le- uh, Laura Trump, wife of the president's son, Eric, is actively contemplating a run for the Senate in North Carolina. Uh, the president's eldest son, Don Jr., is eyeing a future in politics as well. But then it goes to, this is what I'm really focusing on. It says, and this is this is Politico, so of course, grains of salt and all that, but it says, the newest and most buzzed about possibility, however, surrounds the president's daughter, Ivanka. The senior White House advisor is set to decamp to Florida after her father's presidency comes to a close, and though talk of her launching a primary challenge to Senator Marco Rubio has given off the faint whiff of political fanfic, in reality, Trump officials say, there have been machinations behind the scenes. One person in contact with the president said that Jared Kushner is viewed as working single-mindedly to protect and promote his wife's political career. Can I just tell you right now, and I will start this movement unapologetically, um, I am hashtag never Ivanka. There's there's no reason why we should be talking about Ivanka Trump, the left-wing Democrat daughter of the president. There's no reason why we should be talking about her for political office. And, and, I'm, and I'm really not sure where her base of support is supposed to be because, because she has Trump at the end of her name, she's automatically hated by like half of the country. And that's not going to change. So that's, that's 50% of the electorate that's out the window right away because of her last name. And then what about the other half? Well, yeah, there, there, there's going to be a certain portion of people who love Trump so much that they would embrace a Trump monarchy and, uh, and uh, you know, they're, they're fine with the political, you know, the political dynasty. And, hey, if it's Trump, I like it. But that's a minority. I, I, I think the majority of Trump supporters and conservatives generally are going to look at this and say, well, she's, but she's a Democrat. She's left wing. She, we, don't, we don't share the same ideas at all. Why would I vote for her? Just because your daddy was the president, that doesn't qualify you for any political office at all. So it seems like she is uniquely positioned to be hated by almost everybody. That's, that's just my political analysis of this. I mean, what do I know? I could be wrong. That's the way it seems to me. And I'll also say that, that just general principle here, I think political dynasties, are they are honestly the most un-American thing you can possibly conceive of. Now, unfortunately, they're also common in America, so I call them un-American, but in another, in another sense, they are very American because they've happened a lot. We, we, we know of recent political dynasties, Bush, Clinton, et cetera. Um, but they are in spirit the most, un- they're, they're what we tried to get away from. It's one of the reasons we have this country is to get away from this. Uh, the, the fact that you're related to a person in power doesn't mean that you should also be in power. Especially if you're Ivanka Trump. All right. You know, owning a pet is not all just fun and games. It's also a responsibility. If you have a pet, then you have a responsibility to care for it. Even if uh, it's not your pet, but you're living in the same house. In my, that's in my case. I, my, my wife's cat. I, I, am, um, I have to room with my wife's cat that is a, a guest in my house. And what I found is that even I am in a position where I have to take care of the cat, even if it's not my cat. And that's why it's so great to have PetSmart. From the beginning of the pandemic, PetSmart has remained open, making sure you can get everything your pet needs right when you need it at over 1,600 convenient locations. PetSmart stores and grooming salons offer digital check-in, curbside drop-off and pickup, and contactless payment. And now PetSmart offers free same-day delivery uh, through January 31st. So you can get everything your pet needs right to your door 
right when you need it. You can't beat that. PetSmart's associates uh, really love pets, and they, they care for them, and that's a, a big part of why they work for, there. And if you go to PetSmart, you can really tell that's the case. PetSmart makes it safe and easy for you to care for your pet, too, online or in stores. If you're interested in contactless shopping, just order online at PetSmart.com or on the PetSmart app and, and enjoy easy curbside pickup or free same-day delivery through January 31st. Get everything your pet needs. Go to PetSmart.com for more details. Again, that's PetSmart.com for more details. And also, you know, last Thursday was a big day for The Daily Wire as we have made our entrance into the entertainment content space with our first feature film, Run, Hide, Fight. Uh, it's a movie that, you know, you know, we, I've been telling you, everyone here at The Daily Wire has been telling you that it's a really effective thriller and uh, just a really solid, really good movie. You don't have to believe us. Just go, go look at look at what the people are saying. The people have spoken, and um, in fact, I went on Rotten Tomatoes, and the last I checked, it was something like you know, you go to Rotten Tomatoes, you can see what the critics are saying versus what people are saying, and it's something like general audience reviews, like ninety five percent, and then the critics give it a fourteen percent grade. And anytime you see a disparity like that, you first of all, you know it's going to be a good movie. And you know there's a reason why the critics are giving it a bad review, and it's not because of the quality of the content. It could be that, you know, they don't like the fact that Daily Wire has anything to do with it. But um, that's why you need to check out this movie. If you aren't a member yet, use promo code RHF to get 25% off. That's RHF for 25% off. Please be aware this film is, is not political. It is intense. It's for mature audiences only. And uh, so it's not, a, it's not a movie you sit down and watch with your kids. But we picked this movie after Hollywood refused to. Uh, critics may have given it. A 14% rating. It's right here on Rotten Tomatoes. But we're receiving positive responses from thousands of, uh, of people since the premiere last Thursday. So now's your chance. We're excited to bring you great stories that Hollywood refuses to tell. And we hope you'll join us and become a member today at dailywire.com. Remember, you get 25% off when you use promo code RHF. So go watch the movie now. And let's get to our daily cancellation. Today for our first cancellation of the week, we'll be devoting the coveted Monday cancellation to Bill Hanagy, or Hanaj. I'm not really sure how to pronounce it. Let's just go with Hanagy. He's a professor at Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. He's one of the many prestigious public health experts that we've heard so much about. But like many other public health experts, he seems to struggle with the health and expert part of that job. He's pretty good at being public, though. He's got that down. But I don't know about the rest of it. As such, he tweeted this week at a picture of himself looking sweaty and haggard in a face mask with the caption, yes, I wore a mask while running earlier. So he went running with a mask on and then he stopped and took a picture and bragged about it. Uh, Hannigy's also made TV appearances to brag about wearing a mask while running. Here he is on a show in, I assume, Ireland. uh, And here's what he had to say. Listen. So if we're outside, we're traditionally told we don't need to wear a mask as much, we're not at as much risk. But if we're out, for example, exercising, running, jogging, should we be wearing masks? I think that's a really great point. You're absolutely right that the risk of transmission outdoors is much, much lower than it is indoors. This virus loves it indoors. But if you are going to be outdoors, then it's quite sensible to take a mask with you. If you're out jogging, you can take it down and pull it up if you see anybody. You should take it like, you know, think of it like this. You wouldn't leave the house without your wallet, your car keys or your phone. Try not leaving the house without a mask. What about convincing people to do that? Because we see some level of resistance. Uh, wearing masks whilst exercising, is, is a, it's a big step, is it not? Well, I can tell you personally that I run over a mile on a regular basis wearing a mask and it doesn't really cause me a great deal of bother. The other, the other thing I need to say here is that 
if we can persuade people to do it, that's great. The more people we can persuade, the better. Because these variants are more transmissible, we do need to do more to stop them. And so, you know, we have to race the virus in order to get as many people vaccinated as possible. And anybody who can do anything to help by wearing a mask, for instance, is doing something to help that. Uh, anything you can do to help is doing something to help. Did you get that? That's good advice. Now, in a thread on Twitter, Hannigy further defended his choice to wear a mask while running outdoors, and his argument essentially boils down to two points. Number one, he says there's still some risk of contracting or spreading COVID outside, so it's smart to wear the mask. And number two, wearing the mask is a show of solidarity with other mask wearers. He really said this. It's a show of solidarity. So let's deal with these points one at a time. First, uh, there's still a risk outside, so better safe than sorry. Okay, well, the problem here, the problem with nearly all of the arguments presented in defense of nearly all of the anti-COVID measures is that they do not acknowledge the risks on the other side. They act as though the person taking these precautions is playing with house money, basically. Like, there's no risk at all inherent in the precaution itself. The most obvious example is with the lockdowns. Well, better to do the safest thing and shut everybody everything down. Yes, well, the problem is that there's a real cost to that decision. There's real risks involved. It may not actually be the safest thing. That's the point. It's like saying... Better to do the safest thing and fire a gun into that dark room in case there's a burglar in there. Now, yes, that strategy could theoretically work, but there are a whole lot of ways that it could go very wrong. And you have to factor that into your equation. With the mask, the question is this. What is the actual risk of spreading or contracting COVID while you run outside? And maybe come within a few feet of other humans for a second or two while you pass by them. And what is the risk to your health when you put something across your face while engaged in strenuous exercise? Now you have to simply determine which poses the greater risk. This is how you conduct a risk assessment. You need all the inputs. You can't possibly come to the right conclusion if you're only accounting for risk from one direction. And as far as that goes, the World Health Organization has this to say, quote, this is what they say, fact. People should not wear masks while exercising as masks may reduce the ability to breathe comfortably. Sweat can make the mask become wet more quickly, which makes it difficult to breathe and promotes the growth of microorganisms. The important preventive measure during exercise is to maintain physical distance of at least one meter from others. Now, if I could translate here and simplify, wearing a mask while exercising is gross. Disgusting. You are breathing in your own sweat and bodily fumes. You are saturating a piece of cloth with your perspiration and then breathing through it. See, I actually don't need the World Health Organization to tell me that that's unhealthy. I know it's unhealthy because I understand a basic health rule. I'm not a doctor, okay? But I'm pretty sure this is actually like the number one health rule. It's right. This is it. Breathing is good. You need to be able to breathe. Things that hinder breathing are usually bad. And if that thing is a face soaked, is a, is a, is a face muzzle soaked in your own bodily fluids, it's especially bad. And his second point about wearing a mask for solidarity is, is so dumb that it probably doesn't require refutation. But I will say this. I, speaking of solidarity, I would rather show solidarity with people who are not paranoid lunatics. I want to show solidarity with people who are willing to stroll down the street without a mask. People who have at least the the minimal courage and boldness to walk outside their house and take a breath of fresh air unfiltered. Those are the people with which I claim solidarity. Not the cowering hypochondriacs who treat oxygen like it's radioactive. 
who can't even walk to their mailbox without a hazmat suit. So that's why this public health expert, like so many others before him, in accordance with tradition, is canceled. I certainly do not have solidarity with him. So he is canceled. That's going to do it for uh, the show today. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Danny D'Amico. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on the Ben Shapiro Show, the quest to quash dissenting viewpoints continues. Joe Biden unveils his radical plans as the media praise him to the skies. That's today on the Ben Shapiro Show. I hope you'll give it a listen. Listen.